Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from Philippians 1, 18 through 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I should choose, or yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So uh, <clears throat> this last week... It was my birthday, and uh, started feeling old for the first time. Um, 41, so what, the last year I actually thought I was 41 the whole year. Uh, so it's fine. I've done this year before. It's a good one. Um, so yesterday, I, I, uh, my daughter surprised me, and they, they know I love soccer, and they de decorated the whole house with uh, soccer balls and um, the colors of my favorite team. They went online and found that my team had played a game at 4 a.m. that morning, and so they set it up to stream. They bought a, a bucket full of candy. Now, in, in, in the old days, I used to bribe them to watch soccer with me with little candies, and every time someone scored a goal, you'd get candy, and so it made them want to watch soccer with me. Um, and, uh, but now we're using, like, candy bars for the celebration, and so we've kind of uh, gone up a notch. Uh, so I'm on a sugar high a little bit, um, but uh, other than that, it was a great, great day. Uh, after that, I went kayaking, and how many of you guys have, have kayaked before? You, got, you got like kayaking? Okay, so some of this is going to be familiar for you, um, and so I'm just going to say, like, hey, when I get ready for, for kayaking, I, I get the kayak, and, uh, and then I get the paddle, obviously, right? And so this this can feel pretty comfortable at different moments you know and and if you're going to be a, a good citizen you can put one of these guys on right and just get really comfortable and all that and so if i'm if i'm on my kayak i'll i'll, I'll take a bag and uh my 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 other one has a little stove compartment it's pretty cool um and i'll make sure that my bag has got some some supplies right you got to have um water bottle just to make sure that you can stay hydrated uh a sweatshirt in case it gets cold. Um, we've got one of those. Uh, the, the biography I've been trying to finish for five years. Um, a little notepad in case I get some little cute thought, right? Uh, Bluetooth speaker so I can have some, some jams out there. 
and, and so I, I usually try and make sure I, I got all the a good supply so that I can have a good time, right? And so not only that, I mean, uh, I make sure I have some eats, you know what I mean? And so I'll bring banana or an orange or uh, these peanut butter crackers in case, in case I need some protein, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and well, sorry, this is a little bit difficult. Oh, and just in case I decide it's a cheat day, um, I'll bring a couple other things if I'm feeling like a little spicy, some chips, um, but uh, I'll throw on a Snickers just in case I decide to have a cheat day on the water. Just bring those with me. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, we got some aqua socks in case nature calls and we have to pull over to the side and get out in the muddy water. Uh, and what if we just find a couple of trees on the side of the, the water that we can string up a hammock, right? And so you just make sure you got the stuff you need. It's just essentials. And so uh, some of this may or may not be based on a true story uh, of me yesterday. I don't know. Um, but you want to make sure that you have all the stuff so that you can have a good time. How many of you guys are, are comfortable or you recognize this? Yeah? You like to have things at arm's length so that you can have things ready to go. Um, so this is, this is decent. You know what I mean? This, this is not a bad place to be, especially if the water's kind of calm. Uh, you can find some stability, you can paddle along. Um, but the, the situation when, 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 you're, when you're here is normal. How many of you guys are familiar with, with, with this position? When you're getting out of the boat onto a dock. How many of you guys are familiar with this feeling? Where it's, it's like, oh, oh, like two different worlds, right? And you're shifting your weight from one to the other. And when you're in the middle, it's awkward. And when you're in the middle and you're offloading and holding all of these things, it's downright dangerous, right? What do we do when we find ourselves in precarious situations where we don't have all the control, where we find ourselves vulnerable where we're actually between two realities. The question that we're gonna talk about today is, what do we do when we are powerless or in circumstances that we cannot push forward and make normal progress? Paul, will find, is in a situation just like that today. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter one, as the scripture was just read, we will dive into that this morning. Um, I will pray, and then we'll do it. Does that sound good to you guys? Lost my Bible. Okay, here we go. Nope, that's not it. Hold on, one sec. Brought too much stuff. Here we go. B-I-B-L-E, right here. Okay, all right, so let me pray for us. Now that we got the word in hand. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your vision of our hearts, our life, is one that is aligned with truth. You see our humanity, you see the challenges that we find ourselves in, and you yourself lived in the middle, in the middle of two worlds, Lord. And so I pray that you would help our imaginations to be able to envision what it is like to live out your life in our world today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so Paul brings out this really incredible statement. He says, and yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says these profound words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This mantra is one that is foreign to the Western perspective of what life is supposed to look like. For us, the, the consumeristic Christianity that many of us have kind of been uh, brought up in and around, which we've been allowed to, to kind of have as a, 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 almost a, a tenable reality because there's enough abundance around us where God has blessed many of us with sub, sub, uh, lives that have been way more uh, enjoyable than most other Christians throughout history. We have this consumer Christianity where the message isn't to, to live is, is Christ, to die is gain, but rather to die is Christ, to live is gain. And sadly, I think I've lived much of my life this way where I believed that my life here on earth should be a steady path of gaining stature, status, wealth, accomplishment, when I study who Jesus is and who Paul says he's following, it's in fact the opposite. That to live for Paul meant that he was going to spend himself. Now many of us, we go, okay, yes, I've given you my life, Jesus. Okay, that, therefore, when I die, it's all about you, Christ. But as for my day in and day out, it's about gain. It's about gaining comfort, security. It's about gaining uh, um, self-actualization, comfort, satisfaction, when in fact this flies in direct opposition. Consumer Christianity asks this question in any given circumstance. What can I gain in this scenario? In this scenario, it could be anything. For Paul, it was he was uh, imprisoned in house arrest. He was chained. He was unable to be free and move about the, the area as he wanted to. He could have looked at the circumstances, but when he looked at the circumstances, he's like, you know what? Because you are praying for me, church in Philippi, and the Spirit of Jesus is with me, I know that something good is going to take place. I believe that God is going to deliver me. But note, he doesn't call his primary attention to whether he's free or not free as far as what his focus is going to be. He says, whether I live or die, I pray that my life would actually image who Jesus is, that God would be honored in my body, whether that be in how I live on Tuesday or how I go to the grave. People, when they look at me, will see Jesus. You know, in, in times where we are vulnerable, where we don't have all the control in our circumstances, it can be really challenging as a follower of Jesus, especially when that's not expected. When you've been told if you're following God and honoring him, things will work out and you will continue in this upward trajectory of gaining uh, happiness, joy, all of the things, but then life happens, reality, the earth 
the shadow land of, of destruction touches your life, and you all of a sudden find yourself losing. You're, 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 you're losing standing. You're not gaining wealth. You've lost your job. You're not gaining respect. You have actually been humiliated. We have to wrestle with this reality because most people will walk away from the faith, not because Jesus isn't raised from the dead, but because living for him doesn't protect them from suffering. So how do we live our lives and bring up our families and image a stronger humanity in Jesus that doesn't crumble under the, the fragility of circumstances? How do we become strong? How do we thrive in the moments where we have no power? You see, I don't think we're very good at being in circumstances where we aren't in control. Not only Christians, but all the West. In a production, power-oriented culture where what you're able to accomplish is often equated with your value, we like circumstances that we can control. We like to know what to expect, we like to know what the challenges are, and we like to know how we're going to walk through this and look better, gain power, and end up better for the, for the trouble. Is that true? So we hate vulnerability. But, but the sad reality is, is that vulnerability is more common to the historical church experience than power. And so we find ourselves experiencing something different than most of our brothers and sisters who we'll spend eternity with, where we often have the power and ability to control circumstances around us so that we can navigate it in a way that we, we assure our success. Sadly, that's um, what that can often cause is um, it, it, it lends itself to us as the people of God believing that when we have power, when we can control circumstances, when we can assure success, that that is to be the norm but it is not in this world. And so if we look at circumstances when they go sideways, if, if the church were to lose tax-exempt status and that hurts us financially, or if, if we have a, a, a massive problem with, with uh, people persecuting us or taking away some of your liberties or your freedoms, we're going to have to recognize that that's a circumstance and that's all it is, is it's circumstantial. But God has called us to be a certain way more than to do a certain thing. We are to be be the image of Jesus regardless of the circumstances around us. Paul is like, yeah, I'm in prison. And I know that God, he loves to show off. He loves to flex his muscle. And I'm looking around, nothing makes sense to me. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. And so, man, it kind of makes sense that the Spirit of God is with me. He's going to encourage me. But also you're praying for my deliverance. Wouldn't it just be like God for God to actually miraculously deliver me back to you? So that when I show up, you're like celebrating. That's how he closes this section of scripture, is he celebrates the idea, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my continuing or coming to you again. Paul believes and knows there's a larger story 
going on. Paul, Paul, he's not going like, I have done so much for God. I have suffered for him. I have been, I've left all my life. I know because I've done that, he's going to deliver me. No, what's the cause? It's so that the people who have been praying for him will see the evidence of God's intentional delivering power. You see, our lives are actually so much larger than we believe they are because when we're walking out circumstances, we're invited to participate in the way of Jesus. We're invited to participate in in showing, demonstrating, walking out, being an animated picture of what Jesus would be doing should he walk in my circumstances. And the world watches. We're invited to be part of God showing that he truly is the one who empowers you, supports you, delivers you. And he, all above it all, is powerful to do the same for others. Will he always do this? No, because he is building this beautiful narrative. We know that Paul does get released from prison, but then he's re-imprisoned and gets killed. <laughs> okay, so, so he gets delivered, not for full delivery. He gets delivered so that he can go back to the, Philipp- Philipp- the church in Philippi and be like, isn't God cool? And they're like, oh my gosh. And then he goes to the next city, preaches the gospel. Chunk, dang it. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like God is doing something far bigger. Like our idea of freedom and comfort and joy and the satisfaction that we want God to bless us with. Like every one of us, we want a life where we got plenty of money, plenty of comfort, freedom coming out of our ears, right? We want that. But what God is doing is actually something bigger than that. And sometimes God actually has us in situations that he needs us to be in because somebody's watching you. So let's look at this. How do we live in a way that brings honor to Jesus? Now we have to confront this idea where we're either going to live for gain or we're going to live for Christ as believers. We're going to live to to gain happiness, to to gain progress, to gain fulfillment, to gain self-actualization, or we're going to live for Christ. A good few questions to ask ourselves. How do we know if we're living for happiness? Well, one way of knowing this is if you are willing to uh, violate your personal standards to attain said happiness. I would never do X. But then you find yourself going like, well, God wants me to be happy, right? Another one, if you are are willing to use unjust means in the name of gaining progress, a means justifies the end, you may be living for gain and not Christ. You might be living for fulfillment if you are willing to neglect others if required to gain said fulfillment. You might be living for gain. You might be living for gain in your pursuit of self-actualization or becoming your true self or fulfilling your potential if you carry shame about your failure to actualize potential. Some of you, you have this expectation and this may be haunting you when you turn 41 and you're midlife and you're going like, have I become what I should have become? Daddy, are you happy with me? Did I finally plead? Sorry, that's too personal. Um, 
we have these moments where like, are we living in, up to our potential? We look and we go like, have I, have I met the expectation? We may be tempted or be drawn to live for gain where meeting up or arriving or fulfilling a dream is what we think life is about. Man, I wish it was. But I don't think Paul dreamt of being chained in prison at the very pinnacle of his ministry life, his most influential point. What if God's vision of your life, of you fulfilling what he actually designed you to do, is actually something that it'll have nothing to do with your circumstances? You could do it at a grocery store, you could do it in your home, you could do it in a classroom, you could do it if you're mowing the grass. What if your greatest job in life was not merely finding out the will of God, doing the will of God, or or avoiding such and such sin and becoming stronger? What if it was so much more basic yet more dynamic? What if it was so steadfast that nothing could shape or change your ability to do so? We all find ourselves in various circumstances. If we are living for gain, we will endlessly be thinking through scenarios. How can I make this work? How can I turn this poor situation? How do I take these lemons and make it into lemonade so that I look like I'm growing in power and stature? How do I recast my history so that I don't look like a failure? How do I, how do I spin this moment so that people see me as good rather than uh, broken or sinful? These are the conversations we have with ourselves when we're living for gain. We're living for here, this moment, right now. The alternative is to live for Christ. What does that look like? Like, I've read this passage a million times, right? Like, what does it look like to live for Christ? To live as Christ? Well, I think there's a lot of things, and different commenters had a lot of different perspectives on it. There is this idea that every waking moment, Paul had cultivated this relationship where even though he was chained to soldiers, his nearest relationship and nearest homing was with the person of Jesus. And that's the beautiful power, the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of God, which is the spirit was right there with Paul, helping him, as he would say in verse 18 and 19. But also there's this element that he knew that to live for Christ, it actually meant something with his body, that whether he lived or died, Christ would be honored or imaged through his body. And so he knew that his very physical form had an impact for the sake of Jesus. Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He knew it. He's like, I'm not going to expect tomorrow to be gain because I know true gain is when I get to see Jesus face to face. Oh, his spirit will sustain me, but nothing will be like truly and fully homing in the arms of Jesus. That is gain. And he tried his best not to confuse the two. What to expect about tomorrow? It is Christ. He is all I have. He is the most central reality of my life. For us to honor Christ in our body, which he talks about in verse 20, he says this, as it is my eager expectation and my hope 
not to be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, it's easy to say, and you've heard this a million times, it's easy to die for someone, it's hard to live for someone. It's easy to die for Christ, it's hard to live for Christ. It's hard to live for Christ on a Tuesday when we think that actually when I die, it's all about Jesus. He finally gets it, and I won't sin anymore, but right now, it's so much easier. I'm human. I deserve it. Treat yourself. Whatever you go by, it is something that is at war with what you're made for. Wow, that rhymed. Yes. So firstly, the first way that we can live for Christ, it is through honoring Christ in our body. And by this, I take this and read this as... Paul knew that if he stayed alive, he goes on to reference, okay, if I am in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for myself, true? And so he goes, I want to image Christ with my life. I know that that is going to be more advantageous to you. Therefore, for him, for him to live, it meant literally, yes, Christ would be his center and everything, but also his very being would be Christ imaging. If you guys go back to Genesis, we know that Father, Son, Spirit are like, let us make man in our own image. And so it was, man was created and female in the image of God. And the image of this beautiful humanity has been lost. It's been marred by brokenness and sin and selfishness. And what Jesus did when he came back to the earth is he re-images the original human person. The way we're always supposed to live in kindness and love and compassion and care and self-sacrifice. Jesus images true humanity and he's trying to reignite or trying to re-bring um, new life, rebirth in us the image that God designed within us. He's unearthing the beautiful humanity that he placed in each one of us, and when we image Jesus in circumstances, who cares what they are, every circumstance, we image him well. We reflect who God is to the world. So the goal here for uh, honoring Christ in our body is imaging Jesus in all that we do. It is seeing moments not as opportunities for gain or to regain, but as spaces to showcase the person of Jesus. Jesus, we see, he, when he interacted with circumstances throughout the Gospels, we just, it's this beautiful otherness. When Jesus interacts with prostitutes, he doesn't try and objectify. He cares for them. When he interacts with children, he doesn't dismiss them. He honors them and blesses them. When he's interacting with, with the religious fakers, he doesn't uh, applaud them. He takes them down a notch. He spoke to power and he uh, assessed the circumstances. Jesus somehow was un unconnected from the messy world, and he was able to just glide at this other reality. One passage that I think is fascinating in this sense is uh, John chapter 4, where Jesus, we're told he, he had to go through Samaria as him and his disciples are, are journeying, and he finds his way to a, a well, and he's thirsty, and he's 
He's hungry, and he sends his disciples into the city. Hey, go get some food, guys. And, uh, and he's there with, with this woman by the well. And he ends up having this conversation, and, and uh, they go all over the place. But all through it, Jesus is just dropping these little hints of, like, something else is going on here, lady. And he's thirsty, of course, right? He, 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 he had his needs. He was weary as he was from the journey, yet Jesus was connected to something else he begins to interact with the soul of this woman, and he sees this woman's eyes become awakened and alert to this other reality. His disciples come back. Jesus, eat! I've got some food for you! He's like, don't bother me, guys. I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. For my food is to do the will of him who has sent me to accomplish his work. You see, this is modeling this two-world duality that Jesus had an ear to the Father and an ear to humanity, and he was able to walk out this wobbly two-world experience like nobody else. And we are invited to do the same. So I would encourage you, as you're looking for circumstances, or if you don't know what to do, you don't have power in your circumstances, maybe, uh, who knows, you have lots of different circumstances, I'm sure, but you're, you're unable to ensure success. You're not quite sure how to navigate your moment. Jesus is, is simply offering us, through his life lived in the Gospels, a thousand experiences in similar circumstances that you and I find ourselves in. And he, he does that. There's four Gospels because he knows life is hard and we need an image to follow. We need something to go, Jesus, I am feeling just like an outsider. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. What would you do in this circumstance? And then you start thinking through the story of the Gospels. And then all of a sudden your heart is like connected with, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And in the midst of all the craziness and uncertainty and you can't control it, you're going like, okay, I, I see someone walking that trail before me. And so I'm just going to mold myself. And I'm going to keep my eyes on him and I'm going to try and position myself in the same way as he walked through that. And I'm just going to trust that in doing what he did, that's going to somehow be my true north, but also help me to navigate this uncertainty. You see, he did not call us out of darkness into more darkness. He called us out of the darkness into the great light whom he is. The world needs to see the image of Jesus in circumstances of every kind. Some of you are thinking about circumstances in your life and you're like, I don't, I don't want to image Jesus in this. I don't want to live these circumstances. I don't want this to be my story, my life. I don't want this boredom or this innocuous life to, to, to be, I don't want to do this life. Why am I still living this circumstance? Well, if you are a child of God, an image bearer of the king, and God has you there currently, your primary job is to show those around you what it would look like if Jesus was you. Simple. 
what would it look like to be a mailman on Thursday walking past dogs and others? Some of this is beyond our own perspective. It's not merely just looking meek and mild. It is saying, Holy Spirit, fill me so that there is a tangible presence when people are around me. They're experiencing you through me because this might be the only way that they're able to interact with you. And because I'm here, your very presence is here. Your will is actually me at this table demonstrating kindness. We can get so distracted as followers of Jesus. We need to be discerning, yes. Paul models discernment through this whole little passage. I wish we could spend an hour and a half on this passage. We cannot, I know. But he often runs back to what he did in his opening section, if you've been following with us. In verse 9, when he says uh, his greeting, it's like, hey, I would, I, my, my prayer for you, let me read it to you, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Does this sound familiar? He's actually personalizing what he's doing in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He just told them what fruitful labor was. I want your love to expand. I want your knowledge and wisdom to be able to look through this circumstance, to be able to see what is eternally valuable and what is circumstantial and unnecessary to your true story. He says, I want you to have a, a love that abounds so that you know how to live out these moments. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul is honest, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to image Jesus. I don't want to, to, to do the harder thing, which is sacrificial love towards others. I want to check out. I want to go be with the Lord. I'm done. Can, can any of us, like, any of us have circumstances where we're like, I don't want to do it. I'm going to sit this one out. And God is like, no, I've designed you for this moment. I've designed you to walk out joblessness, because others are going to need that. They're going to need to see what Jesus looks like in a miraculous way, whatever that, that may be, like circumstances, like I said, are, are so. So remember, for us to cut off consumer Christianity, where we believe life is about gain, consumer Christianity, remember, says, how can I gain from this situation? Well, for a citizen of eternity, of a follower of Jesus, our question in circumstances becomes different because we have a different perspective. Second Corinthians, Paul goes into this in chapter 4, 16. He says, for we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, it is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, He's talking about your jerk neighbor. <laughs> He's talking about having to get up early and nobody sees it. He's talking about the challenges of your moment for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Something about walking through your challenges in this life, it is somehow impacting a weight of glory that is going to be like you live this life with an itch that you choose not to itch because somehow that honors the Lord. 
You get what I'm saying? But someday you will have that itch scratched like never before. That's the best way I can understand this. Or it's a sneeze that you really want it to come. And then in heaven, it's like, huh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm grasping. I hope you get what I'm saying. Because that seems to be what Paul says. And somehow, my suffering is honored in eternity. That there's a unique flavor of joy that I'll have because of 20, 2022. Right? Beautiful. All right. So, uh, yes, we, so, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, there's two worlds. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We, when we walk through circumstances, I want, I want us to get this illustration, okay? Because this is life on earth. Okay? This is life on earth. It is shaky. It is crazy. And every person ever born is trying to figure out how to do this thing right. Okay? And the best we can do is gather a bunch of stuff to make us feel comfortable. But for a follower of Jesus, they choose to go, actually, I think there's something more steadfast, more solid, more grounded, a reality that is there that if I actually move and, 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 and say that this is not the ultimate reality, that stability isn't found in making this comfortable, but actually this world that Jesus came, that is called the unshakable kingdom. A believer, it's for us to, to take that moment where faith is us stepping out onto this whatever they're called, docks, that's attached to solid foundation. And we're in this weird moment, right, where we go back and forth, and we're trying to keep our bearings, but the more we try and actually associate ourselves with one world or the other, the result is that it actually causes you to feel less secure in the opposite world. So if I drive my roots down in this life, and I live for gain. I try and establish myself. I try and I live like this is the thing that matters most. My bank account, my time, all that, people, my legacy. All of those roots going down here cause me to be so ever slightly attached to what is truly eternal. But the more I actually shift my weight onto the solid foundation of the kingdom of God, the more I drive roots into the eternal, unseen world, there will be circumstances guaranteed where this, this life, it will become shaky because you will have no control here as you put all of your life and focus and faith here. So do not be surprised when there are trials of many kinds, for they are faced by every one of our brothers and our sisters but let us steadfastly stand on what Christ has done and has established the kingdom that is unshakable, which is here and growing. As we face these circumstances, uh, we're, we're not only called to um, image Jesus, we're called to embody the gospel. 
There is a discernment, yes. My second point, discernment. We have to be able to look through circumstances and see what is most meaningful. What is most important in your life? What things are circumstantial? And then hold fast to that which is sure. And as we do so, we are called to embody the gospel of Jesus, Philippians 1, 24 through 26, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary. Paul knows this. He wants to go. A better reality for Paul is if he would have been, you know, put out to pasture, so to speak, he would have loved it. But he's like, yeah, it's way better for me, but I know it is far more necessary that I remain. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress, your joy, and the faith. That in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knows what is most excellent. And it is this self-giving offering that he lives out before them. He knows to check out would be easier, but he's like, but I know. Because I'm following, and God has cultivated in me a heart that is growing with this love. And this is not a, a, a loose love. This is a agape love, which is self-sacrificing love. And so Paul looks at his circumstance. He goes, man, I, I would rather be with the Lord, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to return to you because agape love in me when I embody the gospel, which is an image of agape love, self-sacrificial love for the sake of others, if I'm going to embody that, man, whether I'm alive or I'm dead, I'm going to do it to the glory of God for your good, not my own. He's learned the secret of following the pattern of Jesus who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he willingly humbled himself, becoming the form of servant even to the point of death. Paul knew that he was not going to grasp at what would be far better, which is death, but that he would remain because it was far more necessary that he suffer for the sake of others. Our hope and our joy is the fact that we will live lives that are able to look at what is most necessary. When you're in a circumstance, you're able to identify um, what, what is really worthy of your sacrifice. What does it really look like for me to live the life of Jesus in this circumstance? But as we do so, the Lord is intending to help us to be able to discern what that is. And we are to grow in our not only willingness to suffer, but our ability to discern what Jesus would do in these places. And if we don't know anything else other than the participation of, of our lives in the Spirit of God, it is that we will uh, embody the agape love of God. One author calls this the cruciformed life, that our lives are cross-shaped, that when we move through life, everything we do is a testimony to the self-sacrificing love of God. And this is what we're invited to do in the same way. I believe that Jesus, through the voice of Paul, is calling us believers to cut ties with the false idea that God's highest value for you and I 
is that we would gain this temporary comfort, that we would gain temporary success, that we would cut ties with the idea that God's deepest desire is that we would gain temporary happiness. This is not his deepest desire for us. What God is doing is he's inviting us into a participation of the supernatural where you and your life have the ability to, through the Spirit, offer your life in a way that would image the person of Jesus, his sacrificial love, the character of God, to a world that desperately needs to see the goodness of God. There was a time when, uh, in my life, I need to start getting like a sweat rack. Mm. Preach it. The lights are hot. All right. So there was a time in my life where um, just seemed like everything was going sideways. Anybody have a season like this where everything that could go wrong went wrong and then more went wrong? And you're like, you, you stop being surprised. You're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, why, why, why wouldn't the fridge go out? <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so I had one of these seasons and uh, had no control of what my life was going to look like moving forward. And I was just like, nothing makes sense. I am at a loss. And I remember feeling absolutely no control. But then the only thing that actually made sense to me was this miraculous peace that I found when I like, would turn to Jesus and be like, seriously, we're doing this, huh? Okay, you're with me? And there was this peace because I knew there was nothing I could do. All I could do was walk out the circumstances how Jesus would, and that's, that was enough. We can get so distracted on what's right, what's wrong, and not that that's unimportant. What if we just, in such a complex world, what if we just started with the question of what would Jesus look like in the circumstance? Spirit, help me. Help me to imagine what Jesus would do. And then help me to do it. Move my body. Give me thoughts. Direct me. And in so doing, it creates this strange simplicity where the dynamic sacrifice, suffering, all of it, it just becomes a texture that you and Jesus share where there's nuances that nobody's ever going to know. And you're able to experience this beautiful richness, like the fellowship of the suffering. And so I want you to know, friends, that for us to, to live with Jesus and for Jesus, Paul describes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, the earth is going to shake. The earth is going to be unstable. It really will. But to live by faith, holy cow, to live by faith is to step away from the shakiness, to stand on what is true, and to demonstrate Jesus. And to the world that sees the crazy, sees the waves, they're like, how, how is she so steadfast? 
How is she still loving? How is she still peaceful? I mean, this is the power that God invites us into. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us to see our life not merely as circumstances for us to survive, but circumstances where we are able to showcase your life because you haven't left creation as orphans, not even the lost, Lord. You have left your image on this earth and you have filled your image that is us with your spirit to animate us. And so I just pray, God, that we would partner, that we'd be able to envision what it's like to live for you in our varied circumstances for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, John, you want to come on up? We're going to do a, a short, uh, I'm going to shove this guy off to the side. All right. Who's got questions? I think, John, do you mind starting us off? Yeesh. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> and maybe it's just because I've been doing some other studies where um, you had mentioned Jesus has a duality in terms of his nature. Mm-hmm. He's fully God and fully human. Humanity images Jesus in this respect of we too have a duality of flesh, of this earth, but then also a spirit, which is of the supernatural realm. And if we're to live a way that is to image Jesus more, by being led by the spirit more, by having our spirit actually do the leading rather than our flesh, um, how do we go about actually making that our reality? Thoughts? Just a softball question, guys. How, how do you... I went real philosophical good. here. But. How, how do you practically... Let's do practical. How do you orient yourself around the unseen? I, just from personal experience, um, you know, hard knocks of life, I've seen God show up in so many ways, and... If there's something that's uncertain, I just go back to that foundation. God will show up. He always does. And I don't deviate from that. You know, yeah, you might not know which way he's going to show up, but he's always going to show up. So it's just going back and seeing how he's been faithful Mm -hmm. one time after another after another. Yeah, thank you. I was talking to someone last week, and uh, they were discussing, like, I've stepped out in faith, and now I'm not quite sure. Like, I'm not hearing the Lord, and um, it just came through our conversation of like, okay, let's just revisit last known coordinates. Uh, Like, what was the last direction the Lord gave you? Let's just keep moving that way until you hear otherwise. Um, And so just orienting ourselves, I think, around the spiritual truths of Scripture that we literally, like, hold God accountable to be what He says He is, and to provide how he says he will, but leave the room for God to um, implement his promises according to his best knowledge. I think that's where we can get in trouble. It's like, you said this, so that means, it's like, well, the Lord's more creative than you. <laughs> yeah. What other, what other things do you guys do? 
to orient yourself around the unseen. say it's really easy to let your day be consumed with your own thoughts of you know what you're doing and all your plans but I think um, the easiest way that I found is just to say God help me to see where you want me to interact Um, open my eyes to those possibilities otherwise I won't notice them Um, they'll just pass me by but when I have done this uh, I'll notice like call to actions moments in my day where God will show me that, and I will be more aware of that because I started my day usually is when I would do this, um, asking him to keep me aware. It's a good poll right there. The practice of seeing God. God, help me to see what you're doing here. And then listening. What else? In the back. In the way back. Um, so I would say scripture. So, I, well, even in scripture, I think in the Philippines, well, is it Philippines? Paul says he sings psalms, um, prayer, thanksgiving, mm. and within Philippines. So those three things. Um, community, in the sense of knowing that you're on the right orientation and direction so totally that's really easy to get um, to let other people control your primary narrative whether that's just diving into the news and that's like your primary lens that you look at everything I think the goal is to, to be so oriented with the, with the world of God or the kingdom that is coming to begin to see um, the things we're interacting with with a lens of kingdom of going like, okay, hmm, what's this, what are you doing behind this, Lord? I think that's like the art of discernment and community is a huge part because if you're, if you're communing with people who are um, primarily of a secular world perspective or negative or they have a different lens, you're going to automatically like begin to speak the language of your primary citizenship, so to speak. And if our primary citizenship is political party, um, a thought pattern or worldview um, or issue package, then we're going to be filtering even what God is doing through the lens of our primary citizenship. And so that's why it's super important to be able to like, just go, okay, yes, this is real. Yes, this is, I interact with this. But what is concrete is the unseen world. What we see is transient, as Paul says. It's the eye of faith. What are your thoughts? you want to pull this together for us? Yeah, um, it's definitely, as believers, we have to have a shift of even just our own worldview, of not seeing what is here as solid truth or of solid reality. Um, eventually, like you said, the unseen realm is going to come down and reestablish the new heavens and new earth. 
And so we, as believers, have to shift our worldview of not seeing things in the natural, but like Michelle said, looking for the supernatural of what it is that the Spirit wants us to do. Who, do, who does the Spirit want us to reach out to? What does the Spirit want us to say in this moment? It's shifting that worldview and that vision of the spiritual realm being the forefront rather than the earthly realm. So, and you do so by continually asking Jesus to give you eyes to see and a spirit to pour out from you and to act in those moments. Mm, yeah, and to repeat what is true. I think coming together, even church, it's important because we're in a public setting and we're all nodding together going like, yes, we believe that a guy lived, died, rose again, and he's... Uh, procured a kingdom that we belong to. You know, you say that by yourself in the middle of a, a marketplace, that's tough. But saying it with others, it's so encouraging. Yeah. Do you want to introduce communion and we'll time, time of worship? As Jason comes up, we'll begin to prepare ourselves for taking of the bread and the juice um, as a symbol and representation of what Jesus has done for us, him breaking his body to pave a way for us to enter back into a right relationship with him and the blood that was poured out that covers the sin, covers the debt that we should have paid. So if you're in this space and you're not quite ready or you haven't come to the point where you've accepted Christ as your Lord, um, one, I would encourage you to do so. There's no better time than right now there's fruit in the kingdom of heaven for you. And there's things that God wants to do to bring you into an abundant life with him. So if you're not at that place, I'd encourage you, please, bow your knee to him. Declare him as your Lord and Savior. If you need to talk, I'll be available. David will be available. And if you have things in your life in which you know, you've, you've sinned and you've separated yourself from him, take care of that before you come and take the sacraments. Make yourself again right with him. Ask, live a life of repentance. Ask him to forgive you of those things, to wash you clean. And when you take the bread and the, and the juice, it's that reminder of what he's done for you. And as we worship and as you've taken your sacraments, I'd encourage you again, engage your body in worship. Sing, lift your hands, stand, bow, dance if you want engage all of who you are in seeing and hearing and caring for your God because he wants all of you he wants all of you not on the earth but right here in the spiritual realm and our spirits engage with him as we worship and let's engage our bodies as well